I'm glad to see y'all all in the house of the Lord today. So we've had a, you know, the 4th of July, we had several people on vacation, and I've got to talk to a couple people this morning. You know, everybody deserves a chance just to get away and just to have some fun and just kind of relax. And uh, we had a really good 4th this year. We, uh, we got invited out to Fred's house for lunch on Tuesday. Got to fellowship with him and some of his family and some of his friends. Hang out and just have a good time. And then we went to Childress to the park. They had a big thing going on over there. And we had a lot of fun over there. I, I did. I don't know about my family because I got to, I'm from Childress, so I got to see a bunch of people that I ain't saw in a long time. And I got to talk Jesus to a lot of people that, you know, they know who I used to be. And then get to tell them that I'm over here doing this thing and just visiting with them. But the best part of it was we went to town. We, we got bored walking around, so we went to town, and we saw Lurleen and Nikki at the car wash. So we got all excited, and we pulled up over there. We were waving, and Lurleen kind of waved, and Nikki just kind of looked at us. <laughs> Hold on. I'm telling the story. <laughs> so... Uh, but, you know, we didn't know if Lurleen recognized us because it's Lurleen, and she kind of waves at everybody. So I, I told my wife, I said, well, call them and tell them if they're going to the fireworks that, you know, we're going to park behind the lake, and they can park back there with us. That way they didn't have to walk because, you know, I was trying to look out for them. And uh, when she called, Lurleen was laughing and said that Nikki had called me an idiot. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I told Nikki... You know, you have to be careful what you say, because if you call the preacher an idiot, you're going to get called out Sunday morning at church. <laughs> but it was our fault. They were in the car wash, and we pulled up to the exit. It was funny. We had a good laugh about it the whole night. But we got to, we got to hang out with them and watch the fireworks, and it, it was a good time. And then, uh, you know... God has some divine moments for us, encounters for us. I went to Children's Friday to get my driver's license renewed, and their system was down, so it was slow, and they were behind. And a guy walked in there, that he was my sister's age, and his younger brother I went to school with, but I knew him really well. He had just got out of prison on the Thursday before, the week before. So I got to minister to him and talk to him about Jesus, and, you know, it's just awesome. You know, I could have got frustrated that the system was down, and lost my cool, but I just sat back and chilled, and I, God brought somebody in there from my past that I got to talk to and minister to, and so it was just awesome, and then yesterday, we had a, a walk meeting, and it's out there at the Wagner Ranch where we're having the meetings, and the church is beautiful. I mean, you just look out the window, and it's just mesquite trees as far as you can see. You know, it's just, it's just peaceful. It's awesome, and then we went to back home for my stepdad's birthday party, and First time that all of our siblings have been together in, what, a year, probably? Over a year? We got one that lives up in Ohio or somewhere. She's kind of weird. But, so we don't get to see her much. But we were all together and got to hang out. So it's been a good weekend. So I hope everybody else had a good week, good Fourth of July week. So will you please stand? We are going to read First Kings verse, or chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. It says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. 
Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I don't make your life as the life of, of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and, and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For your children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this freedom that we have just to come together and just to worship in your name and just to dig to draw closer to you. Father, I pray that you'll just uh, open our hearts and our minds just to receive this word and just let it resonate in, into our lives, Father. Father, I ask that you just remove me from the situation and let your spirit flow through me. Father, we love you and praise you. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You be seated. So sometimes it's just crazy how quickly things can change in your life. Right here, Elijah's depressed and he's fearful for his life. But in chapter 18, Elijah had just experienced the power and the glory of God. He had challenged the prophets of, of Baal to prove who the true God really was. He told all of them, 450 men, to choose a bull for themselves, cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood, but not put no fire under it, and that he would do the same thing. And then they would call upon their, their gods, and he would call upon the Lord and see who's answered with fire. So the prophets of Baal prepared their bull, they cut it into pieces, they laid it on the wood, and they started calling upon their gods. But there was no answer. So Elijah started to mock them, telling them, well, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's busy, or maybe he's sleeping, so maybe you need to yell louder. You know, just making fun of them. But as evening came, nothing ever happened. But then Elijah started on his bull. He repaired the altar that had been broken, and he dug a trench around the bull, or around the altar. And he cut the bull into pieces, and he laid it on the wood. And then he told the people to fill jars full of water and dump it onto the bull and onto the wood. And he continued to tell them to do it until they filled the whole trench with water. And then he called upon the Lord, and fire came and consumed the offering. And it says the people saw it and fell on their faces, saying that the Lord is God. And then they captured all the prophets of Baal, or Baal and they executed them. And if that wasn't enough, then Elijah started to pray that the drought went in, and it started to rain. So can you imagine how he's feeling right now? He just performed all these miracles in front of everybody. And in chapter 18, it ends with saying, Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah 
and he was girded up in his loins, and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So Elijah was probably on a spiritual high right now. God has just used him as an instrument just to show his great power. Can you imagine being a part of that? Having so much faith in God that he knew that he would answer? But in chapter 19, he's fleeing for his life and asking God to kill him. What happened to change his perspective of life so quickly? Ahab told Jezebel all the things that Elijah had done and what had happened to the prophets. Jezebel reacted with anger and vengeance and threatened Elijah's life. So he runs off to Beersheba, leaves his servant there, then continues to the wilderness, sets under a tree and begins to pray that, that he would die. So how many of us have ever been there? In the gloom of despair, in the defeat when all of our expectations have blown up in our face. See, Elijah must have surely thought that after the king had personally saw what God had done, that there would be a change in his life, that some sort of positive result that would lead to a change in the kingdom of Israel. But that's not what happened at all, and Elijah's focus was, and faith was shattered. King Ahab had been privileged to see the power of God displayed right in front of him, to see the prophets defeated and destroyed, but that was pointless to Ahab. See, these mighty acts meant nothing to a man with a hardened, calloused heart. And scripture shows us that the same hardening of the heart that affects unbelievers can affect believers as well. We don't like to always admit that because we believe that our new life in Christ immunes us from it. But Mark 18, or Mark 8, 17 through 18, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? See, just like the disciples, we can be around the Word, hear it taught, and even experience God's work in our lives, and we still go calloused and lukewarm, safely tucked away in our own little comfort zones. Back in verse 1, of Kings, chapter 19 of 1 Kings, it says that Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he executed all the prophets of the sword, or with the sword. See, Ahab, Ahab had failed to see God and what had happened, and that Elijah was nothing more than the instrument that God used. He was so absorbed with the man that he misrepresented the truth of what actually happened. He was so motivated by his hurt, pride, and anger towards Elijah that he was blinded to the work of God that was right in front of him. When we, when we put our eyes on people and on what they say and what they've done, we fail to see God at work. When our eyes are on people, whether in admiration or in resentment, we often miss the truth. Honestly, we just distort the truth. We blow it all out of shape or we just completely hide it. We become blind to the work of God. All we see is the conditions, and we are unable to respond with the right kind of actions. See, when God's not our focus, we all lose. And how did Jezebel react to this? You know, she can't hurt God, so she did what Satan and people always do. She attacked the instrument that God was using. She sent a messenger to, to, to tell Elijah that she was going to kill him. Now, our question right there, of course, would be if she really wanted to kill him, why didn't she just send a soldier out to do the job? That's because God is always in control. 
even when it may look like, may not look like it from where we're standing, God is at work protecting us and guiding us into his path. See, the reactions of Jezebel were not surprising. She was an evil queen with bad intentions to begin with. But Elijah's reactions to her, her threat is surprising. In chapter 18, he's bold and courageous, but now he's running in fear for his life. So what could have caused Elijah to go from this spiritual mountain to such a spiritual valley so quickly? Like I said earlier, he was probably expecting something different, something more positive to happen. He thought there would be a real turnaround in the spiritual condition of Israel. This shows us how much our expectations have an impact on our lives. See, life's full of disappointments. And if we're not careful, those expectations that we have will derail us as they become demands from our hearts. We talked about this last Sunday in our Bible study over Revelations. The warning that Jesus gave to the first church was to go back to their first love. Going back to having that passion of wanting to serve God, that desire to follow the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations, to take the advice of Paul in 1 Corinthians of becoming like the lost in order to win the lost. And how defeat and pushback causes us to lose that passion. Because we know the amazing, we know how amazing the love of God is, and we want everyone else to experience it. But the more people that turn us away, the less we want to go out and share it. It's easy to talk about God on Sunday mornings at church with your with your church family. But we become timid the rest of the week when there may be non-believers around because we don't want to get shut down again. But here's the deal. God holds us responsible for trusting Him, for obedience, for love, for endurance, and for faithfulness to do what He has called us to do. But He does not hold us responsible for the results. The results are in His hands, not ours. We can't change people. And many times we can't even change our circumstances. Only God can. So when we focus on our expectations and make the results the source of our happiness, we end up in the same emotional state as Elijah, fearful, ready to run away, and filled with feelings of failure and depression. So we have to keep our focus on God. When Elijah's expectations didn't come through, he began to focus on the conditions around him, a wicked queen that threatened his life that had an army at her disposal, and a spineless king that would not stand up to her. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, We walk by faith, not by sight. Elijah was only seeing what was going on around him, instead of trusting that God was still in control. Does this mean that we should be ignorant to the problems and ignore them as if they don't exist? Of course not. Only a weak faith seeks to ignore problems of this world. Rather, it means that we should stay focused on the Lord and, look, and seek to look beyond the problems through eyes of faith. By faith, we can see the very real, although invisible, realities of God and the faithfulness of His promises and principles for life given to us through Scripture. By faith, we can continue to do the things that God has called us to do, like pray for others, trust in Him, continue in our ministries, and serve others. But we have to be careful not to run ahead of God with our own plans. But when we walk by sight, we miss out on the great deal of God's blessings. 
He never forsakes us. When Elijah took his eyes off of God, God sought for him and ministered to him. But it's during these times of unbelief that we often miss out on God's best. If we look at the Israelites, as they were preparing to cross over into the promised land, the land that God had promised to give them and promised to be with them, they let fear set in from what they heard from the spies instead of trusting in God. And they were never allowed to, never allowed to cross over, and they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. When things didn't go the way that Elijah wanted them, to, wanted them to, and when people turned against him, he ran away. He wiped his hands with the whole situation, and he took off. Went out in the middle of nowhere and prayed to God just to let him die. But see, nowhere in this section does he ask for God's direction or guidance. He made the decision all on his own, and we often do the same thing. We react to the situation and then ask God to bless our decision that we made instead of asking God what direction we should take and following him through our faith. But now we find Elijah alone, discouraged, hiding, and failing to minister to anyone. He was burnt out. He had poured his heart into, into everything that he had done. He trusted in the Lord, and he had so much faith in God to send fire onto the offering that he poured water onto it first. And he prayed for rain, and rain came. But still there was no visible change in Israel. Mentally and emotionally, he was feeling discouraged and worthless, second-guessing everything that he had done, starting to think that he was a failure, wondering if he had gotten his calling wrong. He felt alone, and he just wanted out. I think we all feel like that sometimes, especially in ministries. We get so focused on what's going on around us that we can't see the bigger picture. We start to think that we are alone in this battle, and we forget that God always has a remnant of true believers. And we forget that although he uses us as his instruments, he's not dependent on us to fulfill his purpose. It's this type of negative thinking that blinds us from seeing the Lord and the promises of Scripture. Though we are soldiers in God's armies, the battle is the Lord's. That's 2 Chronicles 20.15. While we are workers alongside the Lord, one does the sowing and another in the watering. It is the Lord alone who gives increase. That's 1 Corinthians 3.5-8. And it's in God's timing, not ours. Galatians 6, 9. See, one of the greatest causes of discouragement is the lack of apparent progress. Yet progress is not always obvious in spiritual matters, at least to the human eye. So how did God deal with Elijah's spiritual condition? First, he rejuvenated Elijah physically with rest and nourishment. And then God spoke to him personally and got him active and back involved in ministry again. So y'all please stand. It's time for us to get back to our first love. It's time that we switch back from just loving God to being in love with God, where we can't help but to go out and serve Him because it's all we think about. We have to move past the rejections and defeats that we thought had faced us and get back into the battle. Pray and ask God where He wants you to go and what he wants you to do. And when you get there, go. Or when you get the answer, go. And don't ever look back. We live in a time 
the world is very ugly right now. And I feel like it's our fault as Christians that the world is where we're at because we have allowed things to just to come in slowly and slowly and slowly. You know, we've talked about it many times. Satan's got patience. He's got all the time he needs. All he has to do is get us to accept one little sin and then another little sin and then another little sin. And we just keep backing up and backing up and backing up and backing up. But it's time that we get into the battle. It's time that we start going out and we do whatever we've got to do to reach the lost. See, this building isn't the church. It's each and every one of us in here that's the church. And it's time that we become the church. Become the church that God called us to be. And we go out and we start ministering. And yes, we're going to be... We're going to be hit back, and we're going to have a, a lot of people that laugh at us and make fun of us. And, you know, I had several people this weekend or this week when I told them I was a preacher, they kind of laughed because they know who I was, but they don't know who I am. And we've got to get back to that where we don't care what they say. We're going to preach the truth, the biblical truth, not those world social, social truth. So we're going to open up the altar. And we'll open up the altar to anybody that wants to accept Jesus for the first time or anybody that wants to join the church or anybody that just needs prayer. And if there's anything going on in your life that you're struggling with, don't be afraid to come up here and ask for prayer. You ain't got to make a public announcement of what's going on. But we're better together. You know, Mary said something this morning, you know, you take a little stick, you can break it. But you put several sticks together, you can't break it no more. And when we come together, we can, we can take back this country. We can take back this nation. There's nothing we can't do together because we've already won this battle. God's already won this battle for us. We just have to be willing to get in it. So will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this message. We thank you for everything that you're doing in our lives and in our community, Father. We just ask that you just give us the courage and the willingness just to serve you and just to go out into the community and just, uh, and just be the lot for you, Father. And just the, such a lot that people can't help but to see you, Father. And we just pray for a revival in this church and in, in, this, in this community and in this nation. Father, we just give you all the glory. We love you and praise you. Ask your things in Jesus' name. Amen.